The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Uh, well, if I, I don't know if you've ever considered it before, but I actually think the idea of having a mentor, uh, it, it's a good idea. Uh, maybe it's uh, just a personality trait of mine, um, but you know, I can see the value of having a mentor, someone uh, maybe older and wiser who's been there and done it, uh, that I can kind of bounce ideas off, uh, go to to troubleshoot certain things, uh, someone who can give me a bit of input and a bit of their expertise, just as I kind of work through some of the different challenges that I might be facing. But just thinking... Oh, I'd like a mentor. I mean, that, that kind of begets more questions, doesn't it? I mean, how, how would I know who would be a good mentor? If you, you're at work and you want to think about who might be a good person to, to mentor me in a particular task, a lot of different uh, employers have employee incentive schemes where they'll you know, lift up a particular employee and say, here's someone who's doing it well. Uh, I used to work at Parramatta Council uh, a few years ago, and they used to do celebrating success which was sort of the quarterly awards where people from different business units would be put forward as potential winners uh, and several people would win the coveted, uh, the, uh, the coveted Coles Meyer gift voucher card. $50 to spend at Coles Meyer. But of course, on a slightly larger scale, uh, you know, you could go for someone like Manny Stull. Uh, Manny is the CEO of the toy company Moose. He took over the company back in 2000, and he's grown it since then from 10 employees to over 200. Uh, it's now the fourth largest toy company in Australia and the sixth in the US. And last year, he was the winner of the EY, uh, not Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, just the Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Uh, the judges said about Manny, Manny is a quintessential entrepreneur, overcoming significant setbacks and leveraging the creative might of his team to turn moose into a winner in the global toy industry. To come back from the brink of disaster takes tenacity and a strong will. Manny has been through the worst and survived. So if you considered yourself an entrepreneur or you were going to do something similar to what Manny's done, I reckon he'd be a pretty good mentor, someone who'd be worth uh, going to, chatting to, hearing his thoughts on, on different ideas. He'd be worth looking to as an example. Uh, now, over the last few weeks at the forum, we've been looking at uh, a part of the Bible called Philippians. Uh, it's a letter from a man named Paul, uh, who is living in prison to a group of Christians in the town of Philippi. Uh, there's the ruins of ancient Philippi. He was writing to them around 60 AD, so it doesn't look quite like what it used to. Uh, but there it is, just on the coast of Greece there, sort of on the northern coast. Uh, one of the big things that Paul has been encouraging these Philippians to do is to live a life worthy of the message of Jesus. Uh, we saw a few weeks ago that uh, the Christian, Christians find themselves in this situation. That it's a little bit like being on a ship uh, supporting the D-Day landings at Normandy. Uh, people on the ship, if you were off on the coast of Normandy uh, for D-Day, uh, people were expected to live a life worthy of the mission of making D-Day succeed. People put aside their, their differences, their backgrounds. Uh, they worked for the common goal of making that mission succeed. Uh, there might have been sacrifices, there might have been tough times and challenges, but they were focused on living for the mission. 
Christians, on the other hand, are called to live a life worthy of the message of Jesus. Uh, So that's the message that Jesus died for their sin so that they could be forgiven and have eternal life. And so the mission that Christians have is to live for Jesus and make him known. Holding firmly to that message, even when it's costly, even when it might cause suffering for themselves. And then as they keep telling others about Jesus to keep being humble with each other. Now, I don't know about you, but when I've thought about what's actually involved in that, I think it sounds like a pretty tall order. I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, having, you know, living in humility and valuing others better than yourselves, it sounds like a really good idea. But when you start thinking about, you know, what you actually have to put up with from other people, that, that can be really tough. It's all well and good when people are treating you well. But actually, if people around you are acting like out-and-out mongrels, it, it, it's, a, it's a really hard thing. And so now, having kind of raised these issues, Paul kind of seems to go on this weird tangent. I I don't know if you sort of noticed when we were reading that passage, but it's a bit weird. Suddenly, he just shifts to talking about travel plans he has for some of his colleagues. He just doesn't seem to address that issue of how the heck am I supposed to live this life worthy of the message of Jesus? But actually, I think these two guys who he's put forward here, they're actually part of the answer to the problem. They're kind of like mentors to the Christians in Philippi. Uh, But I think I'd rather say they're kind of like demonstration models. Uh, Demonstration models aren't necessarily that glamorous. They can, you know, look a bit beat up. Uh, One of the time wasters that, you know, if you're struggling this afternoon and need a couple of minutes of brain break that you can, uh, you know, enjoy, is to jump onto YouTube and look at uh, product uh, rugged durability tests. Uh, So I'm a particular fan of the one, um, Will It Blend?, well, they'll stick a variety of things in blenders, like, you know, an iPhone, and ask that deep question we all want to know the answer to, will it blend? Usually, it will. It won't usually end up well for the tech. But I don't think that's too dissimilar to what Paul is doing. I reckon if we look closely, Paul says, these are two guys that are examples to follow. They're two guys who are living lives worthy of the message of Jesus, just in the midst of the blender of life. Uh, and I reckon there's a couple of reasons to think this. Uh, the first reason's actually from uh, a little bit further on in Philippians. We haven't quite got to it yet. Uh, but so after this passage, Paul also talks a bit about himself and what he's been doing. And then he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes fixed on those who live as we do. So Paul says, look at those who live as we do. And He's talked about himself as well as Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two guys, and he wants the Philippians to be on the lookout for those who live as we do. So that's that's the first part. But secondly, it's the way he describes them. Uh, Last week, we heard that Paul tells the Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but rather in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And now did you notice how he describes Timothy there in, uh, in 2 verse 20, he says, I have no one like him who will uh, show genuine concern for your welfare. And then a few verses later, he, he says about Epaphroditus, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. It's kind of like Paul has outlined the selection criteria and then said, these two guys meet it. I don't know when you last applied for a job, uh, but one of the steps you sometimes need to take is, of course, your resume and your cover letter. Uh, and one of the 
most important things to do in your cover letter, especially if you're applying for a government job, is to make sure you address the selection criteria. You know, sort of go through the list of things the job needs you to do this, to do this, to do this, and say, yeah, look, I can do that, and I've done that, and I've done that. Here's how I can prove it. And Paul kind of does that with these guys. He raises the selection criteria and then says, these are guys who are doing it. These are guys who are worth watching. They're concerned for the welfare of others. So as we look at them, I actually think we get a couple of good examples of of what it looks like, what it might look like to live a life worthy of the message of Jesus. And I think we see it in, in three ways. So the first is the example of genuine concern. It's the example of genuine concern. Did you notice what the concern that Timothy shows looks like uh, back when Al read the passage? He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It's kind of curious, isn't it? I mean, most of the time, if if I was thinking about seeking the needs of others, I'd be thinking, okay, well, what, what do they think they need? What, what do they want? But Timothy seeks their welfare by seeking the interests of Jesus. So whatever this looking to the needs of others is going to look like, it's ultimately shaped by the big picture, the concerns of Jesus. So needs, needs can all be a little bit relative in perspective, can't they? Uh, right now I'm thinking I really need lunch. Maybe I should have eaten something before I came to the forum. Uh, but come Saturday afternoon when I'm out at my folks' place for mum's birthday, I'm not going to be too stressed if I just happened to miss a meal one day of the week. Uh, maybe a bit more seriously, I remember a few years ago I was in a conflict with someone and I, I didn't realise quite how upset they were with me uh, until they made some comments which I found very hurtful and I actually felt like were quite unfair. I felt like I needed justice. I felt like I would be justified and had plenty of ammo to use in a return salvo. But it wouldn't have actually helped. It would have just poured fuel on the fire. Uh, And I'm really glad now with this distance of time to say I didn't actually unload at them. Uh, Holding back then was, I think, the right decision. But of course, you know, we all have needs. You know, someone might need you at a meeting. Uh, you might need a report finished or need to get a proposal approved. And, and they're not necessarily bad. They might even be able to do some good day to day. But from the perspective of eternity, how much do the different needs matter? It's sort of one of the questions that, that you've got to ask. And, and so when Timothy is showing concern for the needs of the Philippians, it's shaped and it's influenced by the concern of Jesus. Uh, These are two guys, they've got genuine interest in what's good for the other person, and it's shaped by the message of Jesus. So the message of Jesus shapes the concern that they have, but, but there's a bit more there. I think we also see the message of Jesus frees them from shame. Uh, When Al read the passage earlier, I don't know if you noticed, but neither of these guys sounds particularly glamorous to me. Uh, to start with, Timothy's described as a servant, or although the word could be slave, uh, that's not a glamorous role, even in ancient society. But did you also notice the story of Epaphroditus? You know, Epaphroditus, if you piece it together through the passage and what's happened, he's been sent by his church to go and help Paul. 
they've probably invested resources, you know, in getting him over there and keeping him over there, maybe in other ways as well. But Epaphroditus has come back early, and it's not a, glam- a, a glamorous, successful homecoming. He's coming home early because he was sick. He was deathly sick. He, he was causing Paul anxiety there as well. It almost seems like he was more of a hindrance to Paul than a help. It doesn't seem like he'd really be the candidate for, you know, the Christian Entrepreneur of the Year Award. He's, he's not been successful at all. I think, you know, if you're going to look through the lenses of, of sort of the world and success and, and failure and shame and, and, uh, and honour, his mission, it, it seems like a failure. You'd think that's not an honourable homecoming. But actually, we need to remember that the message of Jesus, it, it shapes the way that we, that we look at these things. And Paul even says, these are guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who you should look up to, who you should honour. He says in verse 29, receive Epaphroditus in the Lord with all joy and honour such men. How is it that these guys can be free of worldly shame? Why is it that these guys can still be honoured? Well, I think it's because Christians look at things differently. Uh, the world we live in is a meritocracy. It's all about what you've done, what you've accomplished. Uh, it says honourable, dishonourable, or success or failure. But for Christians, the Christian message says, well, you, you can't earn a right standing before God. You can never achieve enough to be honourable before him. Rather, it's what Jesus has done on the cross that allows us to stand unashamed before God. And so I think it's, it's impossible to come away from this passage thinking that the Christian life is based on achievement because Epaphroditus, he really didn't do much at all in terms of success. Yet, Paul says, honour men like him. I think we see that the message of Jesus, it, it frees us from the need to prove ourselves to achieve and it frees us from shame because if we follow Jesus, we share in his victory. That's the message that Paul and the Philippian Christians, Timothy and Epaphroditus, that they all share in. So when Epaphroditus comes back, even though it it shouldn't be a glorious homecoming in in worldly terms, Paul still says, honour him. He's been living out his faith. And we're free to do the same. I think one of the implications, if you were a Christian, is that when you see other Christians doing something that that actually ends in a a worldly dishonour or a worldly failure, maybe they've lost their job or or family or friends, and it's because they've been holding on to the message of Jesus, that's actually something they could be honoured for. Uh, There was a guy who went to my uni uh, and I remember when he graduated, he, he, he went to a job, he was excited about it, and as he sort of went along over the coming months, there were more and more things that he just didn't quite feel comfortable with as a, as a Christian. He didn't quite feel he could really do it well. He, he wasn't convinced it was out and out wrong, but was sort of going, how do I do this in a way that, that correlates with my Christian faith? He was happy to wrestle with it. There was nothing that was really, you know, oh my goodness, this is what they're asking me to do and I disagree with it. But about six months in, uh, he, his team leader sat him, sat him down and said, look, if you want to stay here, you need to be willing to put our company's policies and procedures over and above your personal beliefs, uh, whatever situation you find yourself in. 
Uh, and he really struggled with that because on the one hand, it wasn't like there was a situation in front of him where he was saying, well, you're asking me to do this and I think this is the right answer. It, it was very abstract. Uh, but he ended up saying, look, in good conscience, I, I can't say that. I, I can't go along with it. And so he lost that job. And, you know, he looked for a job for, I think it was another, it was another year or so before he found actual steady, stable, long-term employment. Doesn't get just the, the, the good reward just because he, uh, in worldly terms, instantly, just because he held on to the gospel. It, in a way, it was shameful. He sort of spent a year kind of unemployed, kind of doing, you know, just bits and pieces around the place. But I actually think that was honourable from a Christian point of view. He held on to the gospel. So as we, as we reflect on people like this, on, on Epaphroditus and Timothy, I think it shows us that actually, if you're a follower of Jesus, well, the message of Jesus, it frees us to take risks. I think you can actually see what someone values by what they're willing to take risks for. Uh, back in mid-2013, there's a thrill seeker by the name of James Kingston. And over in the UK, he climbed up a 76-metre tall crane uh, climbed out onto the arm so he could do chin-ups off the edge. Now, I'm not commending James's behaviour to you. I think what he did was quite foolish, even if there is part of me that thinks I really would like to give that a try. Uh, but you can see that what he valued shaped his actions. Uh, when he got back down from the crane, James said, I did it for the adventure. Life's too short to be sat around worrying about your future. You have no time to waste. I didn't go up there to die. I went up there to live. Life's short. Take a chance. Have some fun so you can really live. I mean, I don't know if he realises that his life will be a lot shorter if his palms get even a little bit sweaty. But anyway, that's how he sees the world. It's worth taking a risk for the adventure because that's what life is all about. But what about Epaphroditus? Well... In verse 30, Paul says he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And see, Paul, he commends Epaphroditus because he was willing to risk his, his very life in order to live out the gospel partnership, that message of Jesus that he was involved in. But I think there's something that sets uh, Epaphroditus' risk-taking apart from James Kingston's risk-taking. Uh, as we've been seeing, as we've worked our way through this letter, if you believe the message of Jesus, you have eternal life, guaranteed. Uh, no matter what happens to us in this life, our end is not the grave, our end is not shame, our end is eternity with Jesus, the one who God raised to life. So if you believe in Jesus, your eternity, your future is certain. You also know that the pleasures of this world, they, they might be good, but they're only temporary. They're fleeting. They just, they just don't quite matter so much. They don't stack up next to eternity. And so I don't think it's too much to conclude that Epaphroditus, he was willing to risk what he knew was limited and, and temporary in order to hold on to and serve the gospel, that message of Jesus, the thing that meant his salvation and will mean salvation for any who hear and believe. Uh, just to clarify, I don't think 
uh, that the message of Jesus pushes us to take risks unnecessarily just for the sake of taking risks. I don't think that the message of Jesus pushes us to uh, make risky decisions without actually planning and thinking about things. It's good and right to mitigate risk where we can. OH&S is a fine and noble profession for Christians to be involved in. But I think Epaphroditus' trip to help Paul, you know, like it says that the church there, they sent him off. It, it seems to have required some sort of, of planning, some sort of ability to collect money, to figure out how he was going to get there. Just because Christians are free to take risk for the sake of the message of Jesus, it does not make risk in and of itself a good thing. But when the cost has been weighed, when you've thought about what's at stake, I don't think it's too much to conclude that, well, Christians are free to risk what they know is temporary in order to live for the message of Jesus. Uh, the thing that's meant their salvation and will mean the salvation of others. We need to think about that, the risks that are involved, because like we've seen with Epaphroditus, following Jesus is risky. It, it's kind of an inglorious calling, that, that message of Jesus. So the message of Jesus, it invites us to weigh up what the world offers and what Jesus offers. Take the Jesus view of existence or take the world's view of existence. Um, you know, you, you might not be a follower of Jesus yet and, and you might see on the one hand some of the appeal of following Jesus. You might think, well, he actually does seem like a, a good king. He has a lot of good things to say. The idea of eternal life is quite appealing. But actually, following him has risk. There's things I might need to give up. It might cost me friends or family. I might be ashamed. There may well be costs. Uh, and I think that's a fair observation. It may well cost you. But if you stack that up next to the possibility of eternity, well, well that, that's the... That's the thing you're weighing up. That's what it's pushing you to consider. Or, or maybe you are a follower of Jesus. Uh, maybe uh, you are aware of just how much following Jesus can risk uh, is, is on the line. Sharing the message of Jesus and following him, it, it can make you appear foolish. Refusing to do something that you think goes against the message of Jesus at work might cost you your job. There's always risks. But if these things are temporary... Well, then actually we have great certainty and great freedom to take those risks for the message of Jesus, knowing that whether the risk pays off or not in, in this world's terms, actually our future is still secure with Jesus. So I think the passage that we've looked at here, it gives us a bit of a reality check. Uh, as we've heard from these two guys, if we're confronted with uh, the, re- the reality of living a life worthy of the gospel, it's, it's not glamorous. It, it's hard and it's risky. And if we assume that all there is to existence is what happens between birth and death, then living a life worthy of the message of Jesus, it, 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 why would you bother? It's a fool's errand. But if it's true, well then what happens between birth and death, it, it's just the blink of an eye in the light of eternity. And so living a life worthy of the gospel well, it still might not be glamorous and it might be hard and it might be risky from the this world perspective, but, but is it worth it? Absolutely. And so I, I think this, this passage, it gives us a bit of a, an implicit challenge here. Uh, who are the people or who are the models that you're looking to if you are a follower of Jesus to, 
to help you thinking, living out a, a, me, a life worthy of the message of Jesus yourself. You know, who are the people that you, the Christians you work with or go to church with or, or you meet here at the forum that you can look at and go, yeah, that, that's someone who seems to be doing it well. That's someone who's taken the message of Jesus, the claims of Jesus seriously and, and is worth imitating. Uh, who are you going to look to as a mentor or a demonstration model as you seek to follow Jesus? Because actually, like we've seen in the lives of these two guys, of Timothy and Epaphroditus, the message of Jesus, well, it, it's freed us from, from shame and failure and the need to succeed. Jesus has done it all. My eternity is secure and the hope is so certain that I'm free to take risks. I'm free to take risks for the message of Jesus because nothing can take eternity from me. And it may just mean that others have the opportunity to hear about Jesus and be saved themselves. These men both suffered because they followed Jesus. Will it always be that way? Yeah, so both these men have suffered for following Jesus. Will it always be that way? And I guess, it, I guess it's a good question because from our perspective, we live in a, a society where sometimes it doesn't seem like we suffer that much for following Jesus. There's a lot of just the daily grind of you know, living in our house, paying the bills, working our job. Life doesn't seem that bad. Uh, compared to Christians in other countries, it, it isn't that bad uh, in, the, in the sense that we you know, haven't yet come to the point of needing to shed blood. That doesn't mean that we will never get to that point. And it doesn't mean that there is no uh, sacrifice or difficulty, uh, but it is a challenge. So like uh, the guy I mentioned who I know who ended up needing to leave his job because of the, the situation that the, that the employer put him in, uh, there are costs. Um, may not have come to you yet, um, but as a wise man once said, if it hasn't come to you yet, the trucks have left the depot and they'll get here soon enough. Timothy there in the first paragraph. Um, don't we have to look after our own interests? Hmm. If we don't do that, who will? Yeah, don't we have to look after our own interests? Because if we don't, who will? Um, so I don't think, I don't think the passages uh, and the call to be humble and value others above yourselves uh, is a call to be a doormat. Um, I think it's a call to keep actually just looking to others and keeping on valuing, uh, valuing them and, and looking out for their interests as well. It doesn't mean that, you know, um, I'm just trying to think of a, uh, of a good example. Um, I think it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a people pleaser and it's easy for me to think, yeah, I'll, I'll, someone asks me, oh, I'll, I'll just do that because it's, you know, I'll just do that. That's helpful. It's, it's an easy thing to do. Um, but sometimes it might be better to push back and say, well, no, I don't have time to do that. I actually have other commitments. Um, I'm still a finite creature who needs to eat and rest. Uh, and so th- you know, those are fine things as well. You still have your own needs to look after. What about if people want to walk on you at work <laughs> or push you around at work? Does that mean you kind of, yeah, or not? No, I, I don't think it means that you just let them roll over you. Uh, but it might impact the way that you actually push back. Uh, you know, you don't, wouldn't be the sort of person who, tears someone down uh, and puts them in their place or publicly shames them just so that they know who's in charge. I think it'll still shape how you actually uh, live out those roles and relationships. Okay. Um, If you're a Christian, how do you work out what risks to take? 
If you're a Christian, how do you work out, okay, if someone who follows Jesus, mm. how do you work out what risks to take? Yeah, you it's... Know, is it base jumping? Or yeah. <laughs> what risks do you take? It's a really good question. And I think that's one of those things where there's a bit of a wisdom issue. Um, in, in Philippians... Uh, the, the Philippian church sent off Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, we don't really know why he said, yep, I'll be the one to go. Um, but what does, what does Paul say there just, uh, just at the end of, uh, verse 20, 30, is it? Verse 30, he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. So the Philippian Christians, they've, a lot of them, they're still back in Philippi. Presumably they have jobs, families, things that have meant they're unable to leave, but Epaphroditus has been in a position where he could leave. Um, you know, could someone else have equally made the decision? Sure, but Epaphroditus was the one who went. Doesn't mean that the other Philippians are somehow, you know, lesser or, or less impressive Christians. They're, they're still partners in the, the message of Jesus with Paul, um, but he's sort of worked out, well, look, I'm in a position to do that. Uh, I'm able. Yes, there's risk, but I'm happy to do that. Someone else could just as equally have said, maybe I'm in a position, but I, maybe I'm sort of in a position, but I, I don't know if I will. And, and you know, that's, that's possibly okay too. I think we've got freedom to work that out. Um, yeah, there's not a, a hard and fast, this is when you must take the risk. Um, this is when you must not. That's part of the, the joy and challenge uh, of, of deciding for ourselves using the wisdom that God has given us. Mm. Okay. Um, <laughs> is it really that risky following Jesus in Australia? Uh, really? Question mark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess a similar question to sounds like a similar question to before in that Australia doesn't seem like that much of a risky place. Um, you know, we're not we're not at risk of shedding blood. Uh, most of us aren't at risk of losing our jobs, but it does happen. Um, I do have. Like I said, I do know people who've lost their jobs for being Christian. I do know people who have had family walk away from them. Or uh, a, a good friend of mine whose parents call her half-daughter because she's become a Christian. Uh, and so that, that's a way they constantly remind her that in one sense she's kind of dead to them because she's chosen to walk away from her family's religious beliefs and started following Jesus. So it does cost people. Um, and actually, I, I think that's one of the things, as a, as a community of Christians, we're in a position to make sure that some of these people who have given up things for the, for the message of Jesus are loved and supported and encouraged and honoured for doing that. Because I mean, if I lost my parents and was being told, you're a half-son, <laughs> um, that, would be, that would be really tough. But actually being surrounded with people who love me and care for me uh, yeah, is a great thing. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.